0: Hi, I'm Lisa Kiss, and I'm the host of Be Mindful Podcast. I'm also the owner of Be Mindful Studio, where I am an astrologer and mindfulness consultant. This podcast is for the modern woman to feel grounded and learn to live with intention. Here we tap into mindfulness for both life and business. From community driven leaders, conscious humans, heart centered entrepreneurs, and beyond, we'll discover all the different ways mindfulness can be applied to you. My podcast is here to inspire and encourage you to be a little more mindful in your day-to-day so you can start living a more purpose-filled, self-aware life you love. Thank you so much for being here, and I look forward to seeing you in the show. Hello, hello. Welcome to today's episode of Be Mindful Podcast. Today I'm here with Bianca Metz, the owner of The Giving Tree, right? Did I get that right? Okay. Yeah. Um, so she is a tiny home consultant. I've been following her on Instagram for a while because um, her account was all about sustainability and like minimalist living which I'm really into so she's always been someone I enjoyed following and sh- like seeing her content and now she's kind of flipped her business to help people um, live in tiny homes because that's what she does and I think it's really cool and I have so many questions for her because um, I'm just so interested in the whole thing because like I'm um, I'm in my like my mid-20s and like I the housing market is just ridiculous and it's like what are other options that? I have to like live in the future and like everything like that so um, Bianca, thank you for being here. Did you want to introduce yourself in a better way and explain more of what you do? (laughs) Thanks
1: Lisa. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. I love what you're doing um, with your whole ethos of being mindful. It's kind of a we're kindred spirits in that way but as you said I am a tiny house consultant and sustainable living specialist so my, the role I have in my business as a consultant is to guide people in the art of downsizing and however that looks is however that looks. Mainly I focus on ha- helping people to live legally in tiny houses across Ontario and I help them kind of navigate the red tape of municipal bylaws and zoning and also how to figure out which tiny home builders to go with and a lot of the actual how-to in lieu of um, the art of downsizing, which I also coach on. Um, However, this is actually able to make it real for people. So it's been a very exciting process. And I love being able to help people in this way. Um, Now that Ontario allows secondary dwelling units, living small will be such a a huge reality for so many people. So I'm really excited to be in in the movement.
0: Yeah. Do you want to explain how like you got to this moment to doing this, like where you sort of started with the giving tree and like your story of like, and even why you like the tiny home living.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I love, um, I love coming back to this because it's, it was such an awakened moment for me. So um, a lot of people who have followed me, excuse me, for quite a while know that I had my son six weeks early and this kind of created such a pivotal shift in my entire being, and as a mother, as a woman, as a professional being, as a wife, essentially, I had this really big awakened moment that you know I was working so hard for for seemingly nothing. You know, my husband and I owned a condo, and um, you know we had a sense of home ownership that's lovely, um, but we didn't have access to land, and we didn't we were constantly sinking all of our money into our bills into owning our home so why why were we spending so much money on this on this space that we were so disconnected with and so when I had Bodhi I started looking at things so differently I started wondering why I pushed myself so hard during my pregnancy to work and the answer was because we had bills to pay because I needed to gain my hours for maternity leave because I had something to prove because I'm a woman hear me roar um and I I kind of didn't slow down. I didn't listen to my body and that was really upsetting for me. And so when Bodhi came early, I promised myself I would never ever let conventional society tell me what to do ever again. I would never subscribe to the formula ever again. I I won't, I just took alternative living and encompassed it fully. So when Justin and I thought to ourselves, how do we attain the life that we want in the current economic circumstance that we are in? we're millennials (laughs) who are, we cannot enter the housing market, even though we already were in there, we, we had help. And so we just sat ourselves down and said, okay, what are the opportunities here? What can we do? How do we, how do we downsize? How do we sustain simple living? How do we do any of this? My husband himself is a wilderness expert lover of conservation. He's a Montessori adolescent guide and um, he just he envelopes everything sustainability. So he was definitely the inspiration and the motivator for us to downsize and move tiny but we entered into an opportunity to live on um, a piece of property and work on the property to um, as land stewards and we again had the opportunity to to move into a structure on the property and that that meant a tiny house or a yurt or some kind of small, you know, thing that we could purchase with the the funds from selling our home. And so we landed on the tiny house um, because it was easy at the time and and we, we knew a little bit about living tiny. And so that was basically the inspiration for us both was to just have a bigger connection with the natural world and to give our son a life that didn't include us working nine to five and working for the weekend and um, that involved us looking at how we measured success differently in our quality of life.
0: Okay, that's, that's really cool. Was it hard to like find the opportunity like the land to put the tiny home on?
1: it was we're in a unique situation so it wasn't hard because we know the property owners so when we approach them with a proposal um we the property is kind of just sitting here uh unattended for lack of a better term so we we approach them saying this is this is who we are this these are our values we really want access to land we want to start our own gardens we want to grow our own food we want our son to have access to nature And the natural world, um, we want to be able to be in the outdoors as much as possible. And so we said, you know, if you if you need help on the property and um, we can we can help conserve the property because we're both environmentalists and and giving back to the land in that way, they immediately said, yes, absolutely. We're not capable of doing it and we don't have the time or the capacity to do it. So, (laughs) yes, here you go.
0: Okay. Yeah. um, So with your tiny house, like how many um, square feet is it? And do you find it like that it works with having your son?
1: Yes, Um, so ours is 240 square feet. So, to give you a basis of the size, we're eight feet by 30 feet and uh, we're 14 feet high. And we have an open concept tiny home with a loft, uh, and then we have a smaller bedroom that Bodhi sleeps in, and we also use that as our closet. (laughs) And um, no, I never ever feel like I don't have enough space because we approach everything so intentionally. Everything that goes in there needs to be in there for one purpose or another. And um, we practice capsule wardrobes. We're both minimalist by nature and so is our parenting. Um, And again, we have access to the outdoors. So we're outside all the time. We're not cooped up in our home, but we've made it cozy. We have a fireplace and a sectional and it's just, it works for us. And I don't want a bigger house. I don't need a lot of space. We really don't need a lot of space. If you think about how much space you actually use in your home, it's not a lot um so yeah I love it it's great
0: I was just about to say you're probably outside all the time if you're like on land and there's like a bunch of different things for you to do why would you sit inside <laughs> exactly. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. um this is just a weird question I have because like I sometimes don't like tight spaces but it doesn't ever feel claustrophobic right
1: no no oh, okay our loft actually great because we can sit up and and our heads don't hit the ceiling Um, but it never feels claustrophobic if if either of us ever need a second to go and breathe or you know we're we're over top of each other because my husband's not a small guy he's about six three he's he's a big dude and so living tiny with another large with a a large human and a tiny human (laughs) can get a little tough at times, but we know how to move around each other. We've been together long enough that we know that. And um, if either of us need space, then we have the ability to get space. And it just really makes you a lot more intimate in your relationship in that way too. You, you really have to learn how to live um, with someone. You can't just slam the door and go to another room and, mm-hmm. and ignore that person.
0: Yeah. Um, so, I guess even living in a tiny space, I guess the topic of mindfulness probably comes up a lot because I feel like it's tied to sustainability. So um, I guess, how do you explore mindfulness in your day-to-day while living in the tiny home? And I'm assuming you would work from home too.
1: Yeah, so it's funny because I can answer that in two parts. Part one would be mindfulness in living tiny was just all rooted in intention. And so when... So picture yourself purchasing a big home and you have, you know, three bedrooms, you've got a den, you've got an office or a big living room, maybe you have all the space you need and all you need to do is fill it. And so you do that and you design it and you fill it and you put things in there and it becomes functional, but perhaps those spaces become um, a disaster uh, because, you know, it hasn't been well-intentioned or well thought out. Well, for us, it's taken months and months and and years now to really get it right. And we're always in in a learning curve but that forces us to be mindful because had we just moved into the tiny house and designed it like most tiny houses are designed, and we put in there what we assumed we needed, we, we wouldn't really, um, we wouldn't be able to live the way that we do because every single thing that's in there serves a purpose. And so it's taken patience. Mindfulness in this format has taken a total amount of patience. You know, we moved into the house and we assumed that we needed a small couch, tiny house, tiny couch, that makes sense. Well, we bought a tiny couch and it, we hated it because neither of us could fit on there. Um, it was, it just didn't, it didn't Well, Of course it gave us more floor space, um, but then we ended up purchasing this big, this big sectional from Ikea and, mm-hmm. and we love it because we can both lay down, Bodhi can lay with us and it makes the space look bigger. And so my point being is that if you, you really need to live in a space and you really need to know yourself well and know each other well, to really live by design and so in day-to-day mindfulness to address that piece of it it is you know you have to be aware of what you're doing the the footprint you're leaving behind you know spaces can become cluttered just as easily as a bigger house because you don't have those drop zones to just drop and ignore Um, so we're very mindful of what we buy we're very mindful of what we bring in the house because there's no room for extra and so that means we don't Buy extra. And now we have extra in our bank account and we have extra experiences and we have extra everything else because we're not cluttering everything up. Mm -hmm.
0: Did you, when you bought the tiny home structure, did you customize the inside of it to kind of suit your needs, like to help you be mindful of things? Or did you just sort of buy it and it just like, I don't know, like when people make them, if it's like a, a one, like one kind of floor layout or if there's different options for you to pick from?
1: Yeah, there are different options. So the great thing about tiny home uh, builders is that their design process is super intricate because you really need to dive deep into somebody's life, um, how they work, how their systems and habits work. So I do a lot more systems and habits design than I do actual design because I'm not an architect. But for our home specifically, we purchased it as a shell. um, And so the interior was, was, was already finished and so we essentially just retrofitted and designed it based on um, how how we live and how we move and what we do. And uh, my husband just brought me lunch. This is great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, so yeah, we essentially just made it um, into what made sense for ourselves. If we were to do it over again I would absolutely do a full customize design um, and work with a specialist who actually can talk about what it lives to live what it means to live tiny because living small is way different from any other type of living.
0: When you move from your condo because condos are around like 500 maybe 600 square feet so did you have to like get rid of a lot of things and really like go through everything and pick what was like essential for you?
1: yeah we purged so much and it felt so good <laughs> to get rid of everything um so we our condos was, it was a two-bedroom condo so we were at 938 square feet um and so we had it was yeah two bedrooms two bathrooms and two and a kitchen and a front closet and then a main living area so yeah, we had to get rid of all of our furniture. Obviously we kept a lot because we didn't know the longevity of living tiny. We didn't know, you know, um, then we spent good money in, um, in, in those types of things over the years, you know, we had an expensive TV stand, all these different things. And, and what's unsustainable is just getting rid of everything because then if your circumstances do change then you have to just buy it all over again. So a big proponent for me for downsizing is if, if you can actually keep things and retrofit or keep them for a rainy day, then do that or sell it. Um, so we kept a lot of the things that we really held attachment to and we ended up putting that in storage. Um, also because we switch our clothes out seasonally. So when we have seasonal capsule wardrobes we um, keep a storage unit for that purpose because we have a toddler. We have a lot of seasonal toys and other things that he's growing into. And so um, I would say we got rid of probably around um, I would say you know 40 to 50 percent of the things that we owned, and then about 90 percent of our clothes <laughs> in our wardrobe, and then everything else we just kind of put into storage and um, things we may have felt we would have used later.
0: Okay yeah, I've tried to do the um the capsule wardrobe thing. I, I used to have over like 200 pieces of clothing and I realized like I didn't wear half of it because like I moved away for school and I came home and I was like, I didn't even wear like 50 of these items like I gravitate to the wards the same thing. So I've downsized now to I think like maybe 60 pieces and I still feel like it's like a lot but there's some things I just can't like part ways with and you mentioned non-attachment in my, like when I became a meditation teacher, we learn the like non-attachment, like that's one of the the principles and everything. And I think it's like a hard one as like humans just to practice because the way society is or I don't know the way like we're brought up, like it's to have things or collect things because it can determine some kind of value or worth when it really doesn't. So um, yeah, uh, I was, I don't know if this is a more like, I guess like deep, more of a like a, I don't know if it's like a business-y question or like things that you do with your clients, but if um, you find, like say you find land or something to like put a, a house on, how does it work? Like you, are you like renting the land from the person or you pay like a, like a fee? I don't know if the wording would be called for that, but is that how it works?
1: Yeah, there are a lot of different ways to approach it. So most people are building tiny homes and they're living in either unorganized townships or they're finding mobile home parks or they're illegally park parking. I'm your quoting the word parking. Um, on someone else's property and either using some off-grid services or they're hooking up in kind of a, more of a retrofitted cowboy style. Um, so one of the big advocacy pieces of work that I'm working on right now is um, how do you enter into home ownership without enter in, entering into the housing market? And so that actually looks like land leasing what that looks like is land leasing. And so this is the opportunity for people to purchase their own home or finance their own home and then land lease somebody else's property and the way that you do that is if that property qualifies for a secondary dwelling unit um under their local bylaws then they can likely lease out that space to someone else to come in with the structure as long as that structure meets code and that's um we can get into a whole other conversation about that um and how to be cautious about purchasing tiny homes or building tiny homes. But um, so that's how it would work. It's requiring a little bit more legwork than um, your standard building a a tiny house in your backyard and renting that out. Um, But that's essentially how it's working. A lot of municipalities have temporary use bylaws, which would allow someone to come in and live in that structure temporarily for a set number of years. And so what that previously has looked like is granny suite, I'm sure you've heard of granny suites and granny flats, where, um, you know, in the 90s and the early 2000s and, and beyond, Um, people were building these cute little coach houses for their parents to retire. in, And so that that concept kind of went the way of the dinosaur, as a lot of things do, and they don't really gain momentum, because there's no need for that. And now that people are seeing the value in that downsizing model, it's resurfaced in a really magnificent way. And so yeah, there are a ton of different ways to do it. And it's all very circumstantial. It's all still very new. And it's all, um, you know, there's, it's just such a different concept to affordable housing that there aren't a lot of streamlined platforms quite yet that exist to let this happen. But that's, that's kind of some of the work that I'm doing.
0: Okay. And are you just currently helping people in the Hamilton area or like more of Southern Ontario?
1: Oh, all across Ontario. Actually, I have clients everywhere, (laughs) which is lovely. Um, I even have clients who are going out of province or out of province Um, coming into province which is really exciting so I've partnered with a few um, you know tiny house basically the Biancas of the west coast (laughs) Um, whether that's a builder or an advocacy group um, to kind of do a cross uh, cross province understanding of how to park and how to how to live Um, most of my clients in Ontario though um, they're either wanting to purchase a tiny house and land lease so I have property owners who um, are offering their property to rent out uh, for, for whichever reason, a lot of these people need a supplemental income now because of COVID uh, and they can't afford to build their own structure to rent that out. Um, So I have property owners on the one hand, I have people interested in building tiny homes on the other hand, now that um, I've also partnered with a financing company to offer tiny home financing, which is very exciting because that hasn't existed before. And um, there's also a really large group of people that I'm coaching, that I'm helping through the process of downsizing um, it from a, a really big home or retiring and looking into purchasing land and then building a small structure on that land. And so it's a really exciting piece of the puzzle because people haven't in the past thought of that. And that's whether they have or they haven't, it hasn't been a collective conscious uh, you know group of thought so now that people are saying okay well yeah no you're right why do I need to build a 3,000 square foot home? <laughs> this is ridiculous what, why um, They're looking at how to get creative with that and, and a lot of that has to do with zoning regulations and bylaws and building and all those other things but it's really cool to see that people are interested in in less so that's kind of a, a few ways I'm, I'm helping people.
0: Okay back to the financing thing how much does it normally, cost to do like a land lease per month or is that like custom to the like what the person wants for their land
1: yeah it's definitely custom i think property owners specifically um if they're looking into a um financial uh profit from this land leasing It really depends. You can find people who are interested in in spending, you know, $1,500 to rent out that plot of land. Um, You can also enter into the agreement of the person who's coming in pays for the hookups. um, So that way, uh, that that kind of cost structure is covered uh, and the landowner doesn't necessarily have to put that money out um, to secure a tiny home person. The, the biggest concept, though, is how do, you, how do you provide value to the property owner? And how you provide value to the property owner is so circumstantial and very subjective. So does the property owner have a big parcel of land that they need um, serviced or to be taken care of or they want to use it to its highest purpose? And then that, in that way, you actually find people who are interested in, um, in you know, living as, like we are, land stewards providing a community garden, um, even starting an occupation farm, um, having, you know, creating farming opportunities, people who are working the land. Um, and those are typically wor- a work exchange value. And then you're spending, you know, a lot less on, you You might not be gaining any money in rent at the end of the day, or, or very little, but you're, you're gaining back the value you may be putting out in hiring someone else to work your land or service your land, and this is really, really desirable for people who are aging who own land. Um, the second piece of the puzzle would just be your regular person who is just not interested in spending for three to four thousand dollars on rent anymore. And most of these people, in turn, and for talking finances, um, at least for my husband and I and, and a lot of the people that that we we know and we've come across in our lifetime is is you can, you can afford rent. I mean, you know, if you have a decent income and you can afford to spend $4,000, whether affordability is also subjective and not accessible to everybody. Um, But the point I'm trying to make is that a lot of people can actually afford a, a really decent rent or mortgage, but the banks just don't want to give it to them for whatever reason, whether it's student loans, bad credit, made a couple bad decisions in your in your late teens, early 20s. And that's where my husband and I found ourselves, we both had really good jobs. And the bank would only loan us so much for a mortgage, which wasn't enough to purchase a house. But so you're telling me that I can actually afford $3,000 $4,000 a month, you're going to say no to me for a mortgage. Now I'm forced to pay that money. But if you were to just give me a mortgage, I could spend $1,200 and actually build my credit back. So, so who's helping you here? So anyway, the finances are, are a, tricky, um, a tricky beast.
0: Mm-hmm. And then how much would it be to, and like maybe like arranged for like tiny homes, like the actual like structure of them?
1: Yeah, um, so depending on a, if it's a manufactured build, a modular prefab style build, um, they can, right, because they're being built in a factory, sometimes at a province, sometimes not, um, the cost structure is, is a little more. So a lot of tiny home companies are charging anywhere from um, $60,000 to $200,000 for, for, you know, $200,000 is really, really, really high custom <laughs> luxury tiny home. Um, but something in the normal range, depending on who you go with and what the structure looks like how big it is, um, and all of those other you know, circumstances. You can look to spend um, on average for a shell around 60 to 80,000, if it has a proper codes and it's built to the CSA certification that it needs to be built to, to be permitted correctly in Ontario. Um, and then on the, the average though, is between 100 and $125,000. Okay,
0: yes, that's definitely way more affordable than what's going on right now in the housing market um this is might be like random question but like do you, do people need like a certain vehicle like a truck or something to be able to like pull this like it's like to park it or like are there people who just sort of I guess are there like a little nomadic with it like they can like find different places to park it and like travel with it and like take their home with them and it's like in a sort of way
1: yeah definitely not so much in in kind of more central uh it, it, well I guess in in a four season climate it's not so common because you're dealing with um hookups and, and potential frozen pipes and so people who are interested in living tiny specifically in ontario or quebec or, or again anywhere where it's more 4 season seasonal issues um they're a lot less nomadic um but to answer your question so for example you're on the west coast or on ca- in california or somewhere like oregon where it's you know warmer and you're not necessarily dealing with a ton of snow then yeah, you can, um, your average truck or dually can can pull a tiny house depending on how large it is. Um, there are some certain licenses that you need depending on how big the home is, um, but there are always towing options that are available. Um, for example, ours needed to be towed and then the wheel blew off. <laughs> and so it had to be put on a float, which was so lovely and fun and very expensive. Um, but yeah, so a lot of people, so say, for example, you are interested in purchasing a tiny house to say move from a seasonal RV park to seasonal RV park. You work from home, you just want to live more transiently. You can find RV parks across the province that will host you seasonality or season by season. Then, then certainly you can purchase a truck. You can, a 1500, you definitely get away with pulling a, a 25 or 30 foot tiny house. And then you call it a day. You have some self-contained um, services, you know, like uh composting toilet and solar panels and those lovely things. Um, But that's definitely not a solution for everyone, mainly because so many people, again, don't wanna be so transient, but also um, a lot of the tiny houses on wheels are not certified to be permitted if that person eventually wants to permit that on a piece of land.
0: Um, So there's a lot of
1: stipulations there too. Okay.
0: And then, so I'm gonna talk about astrology now, but have you ever heard the term age of Aquarius? yes yes okay because as you're talking like um like about like the land and like people working the land and it just it sounds so age of Aquarius to me as an astrologer and it's just really cool that um this is like a thing because um I think people like also technology is a big thing with age of Aquarius so like we're able to do the podcast over zoom and everything which is really cool and we can connect with like you can have clients all over um and sort of work remotely it's really cool but um I feel like people are forgetting with all this technology that um like we need to go outside and we also need to like try to connect with other people and just like by what you're saying like working the land and even like teaching your son how to like probably like garden and like grow food and things like that I feel like is such a valuable thing that we've like lost somehow on the way um and yeah it just it's just a really cool to listen to you like here because I had a thought um I don't know maybe like a few months ago just with everything that was going on and I was like I really want to like buy a piece of land and then the thought I had was for like my mom because she's near retirement for like oh I'll just put like a tiny house there for her so she can be close or whatever um but like, that's a thought I had, it's like a big dream for me to own land, but the tiny house thing is like more like attainable. So it's just really cool to like, I don't know, hear you talk about all these things. Um, but yeah, it just sounds so age of Aquarius. It's cool. I feel like more people need to be doing like cool things like this, like you are. So
1: (laughs) I agree. It's all about community. At the end of the day, we're just getting so far away. From, from, um, from that concept of living uh, resource sharings and self-reliance and self-reliable living. And so um, that com- community really just pops up in a way that is going to allow us to be, to be resilient. And when you're building up and out and when you're building fences and you're building big homes to keep everyone out, you're effectively saying, I'm, I'm fine on my own. And we've all realized that especially with COVID that we're really not. So yeah, it's, it's totally all about community and all of
0: that. Yeah. Yes. Like it, the sign of Aquarius in astrology rules, like groups and communities and like coming together and like focusing on people and caring about people and being a humanitarian. And it's not about the money or like the profits it's about people. So um, no, it's really cool what you're doing to end. I don't know if I have any more questions for you, but I will link all of your um info in like the show notes so people can go and like contact you if they want to do this because I think it's really cool. I don't even know another word to describe it other than cool that this is like a thing that people can do. Um, But to end off the episode, um I usually talk about astrology at the beginning, but um did you want to talk about do you connect with your zodiac sign? Sometimes I look at a person's like whole chart and pull out a few things, but um, yes you're you're Gemini so do you connect with your zodiac sign and does it like help you with um, the job that you do
1: yes I connect with being a Gemini in you in, in a crippling way <laughs> in, in a positively in a positive way um being a Gemini has something I've always been so connected to because of the duality because you have the twins you it's an air sign and so you have these you almost get to be two people that live so harmoniously together. So it's almost like having, you know, you get the Cain and Abel or you get the the yin and yang or you get the twin. And it's not to say one is above or different or better or worse or good and evil. But it certainly, um, you're able to just be (laughs) these two, these two people in one person's body. And I I connected a lot with this sign, with my sign when I worked in the hospitality industry. And so there's always Bianca, you know, outside of that. And then there's Bianca at work. And Bianca at work is um, firm, but fair and, um, but still bubbly and energetic and getting people, you know, to, to work well and, and be happy, and um, but I can st- I can communicate, and I can be this professional being, and then outside of work, I'm just this firecracker <laughs> of a human, and so it was nice to to kind of have that. But in terms of now, and kind of being, you know, I- I'm I'm older. I'm 33. Well, not older. I'm 33. <laughs> I'm older than I was. Um, I'm a mother and a wife and an intentional, you know, person, and. Um, the, the, those innate qualities of being a Gemini have never left. I've, everyone has always come, one of the biggest things, and I guess if other people were to describe me, my top five would be, I do not have a filter that has gotten me in a lot of trouble over the years, but it's also, it's also so amazing because it lets me set those boundaries like right away. If there's something that I don't agree with, or I don't like, I'm able to synthesize that information and convey it back in, in a way that's like immediate and I'm going to say it <laughs> and it's going to happen and sometimes it doesn't come out right and sometimes it does um, but one thing I definitely resonate with is the whole the speedy the speediness of a Gemini it's like the quick wit the quick intelligence everything is always not to say that I'm, you know, I'm a highly intelligent person, but I'm always the first person to make that witty comment or witty remark and, uh, you know, find the joke and And, and often and that's actually kind of a bit of a trauma response I have learned <laughs> about it with it, with with humor in that way. Um, but in my business, it's one of the things that I love about it, about being a Gemini is that is ideation and the fact that Geminis are just like idea after idea after idea after idea and always finding caveats and avenues and different ways of looking at things. And as a permaculturist too, now that I'm, I'm getting my permaculture designation for um, permaculture design and holistic systems thinking, and it has, it has almost felt like I have put on a second skin with permaculture because it's full holistic decision-making. Everything affects everything everything has a a purpose and you can look at things in so many different ways and so it's almost like I just stepped into this bodysuit of awesomeness from from the perspective and working with my business so I love that that being a Gemini provides me to just like think quickly and um be so adaptable and you know think quickly and and just find ideas where you wouldn't even think
0: about it and so that's just been so great. Yeah, I have an idea book because I have so many and I want to work on all of them at the same time, but that's not possible. (laughs) So I have a book designated and I know I can come back to it later. That's what I tell myself. But um, something cool with the Gemini's, I feel like um, like, sometimes we're called like the networkers. So like we usually just know a lot of people just, you know, we don't know, maybe know them too well, but we just like have a big like... um, oh my gosh, what's the word? I guess in the network of people. So I've seen it where people ask me for recommendation and then I will recommend and then they work together. And I'm like, that's so cool. Like I made like that kind of relationship happen. And I feel like that's what you do with the tiny homes. You're just like networking everyone together so that they can um, like have a much more like mindful, sustainable living experience. So yeah.
1: Yeah, 1000%. 1000%. It is so much fun. And I get such a a satisfaction from that one. Like you said, when you can, when you know innately that two people are either meant to work together, or you know, someone who can who can help someone. And at the end of the day, I get so much satisfaction in seeing other people get excited about their life journey and their quality of life and all of these other different beautiful things and so yeah as a Gemini it's just you kind of you sit back and you just drop all these seeds and you just let everything flourish and you're like yay I was a catalyst for this.
0: (laughs) Um, I just realized there's like another question I had here. um, And maybe we can like end off the episode with this, but it's, how do you find support in the Hamilton community? But maybe if you want to list like five resources that are like sustainable resources that people can um, like reach out to if they're, they're wanting to live more minimally or sustainably.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'll start with my this uh, group that I helped found um, called Eco Hamilton. So it's a collective of Uh, Really sustainable businesses um, that exist across Hamilton, whether it's organizational environmental advocacy um, holding space for for a kind of a low impact lifestyle and then there are a lot of uh, people who actually own businesses that. Um, you know, re- either retail or otherwise that allow kind of for a low impact lifestyle and, and hold space for that education. And so, definitely Eco Hamilton. Um, second would be um, some more environmental advocacy groups. So, you can just get on the pulses to what's happening in our own backyard. And so, that would be Hamilton 350 organization. So, I'm a part of their, um, I have a step back a little bit from social media just because my business is growing so much, but I have been working with them. their social media advocacy and so they're an environmental organization that really um, gets to the grassroots of issues that are are facing um, this biodiverse area. I would also recommend um, for for on the environmental thread definitely Environment Hamilton and a few of those different places again because you know if you want to make a change personal changes and, and shifts are so beautiful but to be on the pulse of what's actually happening and being a catalyst for change and being a part of that Conversation. I would definitely recommend to reach out to a few of the local environmental organizations. In terms of sustainable living, Eco Hamilton will likely give you the resources that you can find for supporting local, supporting low impact, making a few lifestyle shifts and changes. Um, and then, goodness, who else? Yeah, I think, I think that's about it. Hamilton is so amazing and so progressive. And I'm really excited to be a part of the community here because they're making a lot of really positive changes um, because we live in such a a diverse, a biodiverse area. Um, and, And that's important. That's really important to remember.
0: If you love today's episode, don't forget to share it with a friend or on Instagram and tag us at be Mindful Studio and at be Mindful Podcast. Also, if you have any questions or feedback or maybe an idea for an episode, don't be afraid to reach out on Instagram and send me a message. I'd love very much to stay in touch with you. Thank you again for your support and I will see you very, very soon in the next episode.